Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Cloud Wars Live, the digital revolutions in full swing. We're trying to keep up with some of the crazy twists and turns it's taking and how it's touching every facet of our lives at home, at work, in between. And, you know, are there any in between places these days? Most of us work from home. So what a uh, crazy world we're in and somebody who always tries to help us see the road ahead where things are coming, unforeseen twists and turns too, is our good friend, Sean Amorati, who is one of our monthly digital all-stars here at Cloud Wars Live. Sean is in various order, a triathlete, a venture capitalist. He's a professor in the business school at Carnegie Mellon. He's an author, a podcaster, and he tries to help big companies think and behave and move like small companies. Sean, welcome back to Cloud Wars Live. It's always great to have you. Thanks, Bob. Great to be here. Yeah. Now, Sean, I just want to say this is, uh, you know, to, to, to clear the air here. Sean was born in Cleveland. I was born in Pittsburgh. The Browns beat the Steelers in a playoff game this year. And uh, just before we came on here, Sean said some very mean things about the Steelers. And, and I, if I, folks, if I'm off my game a little, it's blame Sean, not me. I'm, I'm, it only took me 20 years, Bob, to actually have something to talk about as this. But, you know, fun stats, because you like data, fun stats. Uh, ben Roethlisberger is 0-1 against the Browns in the playoffs. You know, because I've heard for years how many, how many, uh, how many, what Ben Roethlisberger's record against the Browns was. And actually the Browns in 2021 are 1-0 at Heinz Field in playoff games, which is because a year, again, for years I've heard about the Steelers records at Cleveland Brown Stadium. So, so fun data, but as we move to like uh, other data, right? Like there's a problem with that data that, that I'm sure some of your eyes, which is when you change that data to information, you're going to point out something about Super Bowl rings or something. And, and the conversation is going to go off the rails quickly. So it, it hasn't been that rough to be a Steelers fan over the years, Bob. So I don't have that much, uh, much sympathy for you. John, thank you. Thank you. I, I try to bear my uh, my burdens gracefully. I'm not <laughs> saying I do, but I try to, especially in front of our, our, our wonderful friends in the audience here. But, uh, you know, uh, one of the reasons, everybody, that I, I sort of uh, remind folks each time what Sean's background is across those different areas, Sean really does get to have a very interesting look at things, right? Sometimes our work uh, causes us to be sort of precisely focused on certain things. And Sean is in a great situation. He's put himself in a great situation where he can see a lot of things happening with the startups in his portfolio, the big companies that he tries to work with through his work at the uh, Swartz Center for Entrepreneurship at Carnegie Mellon and the corporate startup lab that Sean started. And in his own work as an author and podcaster, Sean evaluates a lot of things. So Sean, in that sort of big picture context, one of the things that I wanted to ask you to talk about some was I see these things, you know, market research reports. I, I'm not trying to get in a fight with the market research companies that project these things, but I, I think what they've gotten into is it's almost like, you know, from 20 or 30 years ago, this many PCs were sold in yes. 1986. And we think that number of PCs is going to go to this many in 1987, perhaps this many in 1988. You know, nothing wrong with that. It's fine. I think what we're in the midst of now, Sean, as data becomes, you know, the center of what so many companies are doing, you really get into the digital economy, you really get companies reimagining their business models, which is, has been your mantra for a while about what companies need to do. It, it's, it's not a replacement move anymore. So these projections about how things could be, I don't think they're capturing 
in at all what is possible here. Yeah, I, it's funny, actually, as you were saying that I was thinking about an interesting analogy, uh, which is fun on a couple levels, because it's always fun to make fun of McKinsey. Uh, but also, sure. I think it illustrates the point. Well, so uh, wind the clock back uh, a couple of decades, AT&T, who had the intellectual property portfolio to really own the cell phone market, goes to the management consulting firm McKinsey and says like, hey, how, how big could this cell phone market thing be, right? And, and like good management consultants, I assume what they did is they went and they talked to the people at AT&T, digested that information, put it in a slide deck, and went back and presented it back to them. And, and the basic conclusion that they draw, drew was like, hey, don't worry about this cell phone market thing because it ends up that like, it's just not gonna be that big relative to, to landlines. And so, so you, should, you, should get out of, you should get out of that business. And AT&T, as they dutifully did, went ahead and, and, and sort of followed the advice. And then, uh, so, and that was in 1980, by the way, right? And so the, the actual forecast, just, just for the, the data here, I was actually looking it up while I was talking to you. The actual prediction was less than 900,000 subscribers <laughs> would be using a cell phone, right? And that was their prediction 20 years later. So they were saying, you know, from 1980 to the year 2000, we believe that there'll be less than a million cell phone subscribers. Now, AT&T follows that advice, as many of your listeners will remember who've been in the tech space for a long time. Uh, a decade after that, AT&T had to acquire McGraw Cellular for 12.6 B with a billion with a B. So $12.6 billion. Uh, and in 2011, there were 5 billion cell phone subscribers in the world. I like to say that you know all McKinsey projects are expensive, but this might have been the most expensive McKinsey project ever. Now, let's fast forward to your data warehouse uh, and, and sort of data insights and, and how, we, how we kind of estimate the market. Because I think what you're seeing is a lot of people making the same mistake today, which is they're trying to sort of bottoms up this market size without thinking about the transformational nature of how that shifts the market, right? And so you can end up saying like, oh, you know, let's look at how much money people spend on infrastructure to store data today and apply some growth rate to that. And you end up doing the same kind of thing, which is like, okay, well, if it's X today, it'll be X plus 20% tomorrow. But the problem with doing that for truly transformational things, and we are absolutely going through a transformation right now where we shift information from something that is, that is relegated to the back office to something that changes how each of these business functions work. The problem when you do that is that you end up missing your estimate, sort of like McKinsey did with the cell phone provider. And I think the reason for this is, is that true transformational innovations aren't incrementally better than the world they were before. They're exponentially better, mm -hmm. right? So Peter Thiel talks about things need to be 10 times better than their nearest competitor 
for people to switch their behavior when he talks about in his book, zero to one, right? I think when things are 10x better, all of a sudden problems that weren't data problems before become kind of information and machine learning and autonomous solutions on a go forward basis. So I think uh, I think we're we're still in the first inning here. And I think that um, with all due respect again to the, to the analyst firms out there, um, and I certainly don't want to get in a fight with them because I hope they say lots of really nice things about all the Birchmere portfolio companies as they <laughs> they emerge onto these these quadrants. I'll leave the the firm name out, but they merge onto some quadrants. It's it's helpful to have your logo on there, um, you know. So I don't want to get in a fight either. But I think that that what may be happening is the same kind of thing where you you've picked the wrong proxy, you're bottom upping the estimate, and you end up missing uh, quite dramatically with the ultimate size of an opportunity. And Sean, what, one other thing with that, I, you know, the, we all have our role to play, right? You know, what, what the guy saying, Blazing Sandals, Mongo, just little pawn in great game of life. Um, but I think there's a disservice sometimes being done by some of these firms that project things, right? I was talking to one of the world's largest uh, software companies, and they have a pretty intriguing new product. And then they, they said they were talking with some high-level analysts at one of these uh, firms. And they said this new thing can do both this and this, whereas before you needed to have one thing that did this and one thing that did this. And the analyst firm said, no, I said it won't work because people don't think of it that way. You know, you have to sort of <laughs> back that off. And I, I just see this. So whether it's an analyst firm or uh a business executive, you know, he or she says, uh, that's not what we do. That That's not our business. That's not the market we serve. Those, those negative aspects of those things we don't do, that crap we drag with us from years or decades before, that's going to kill some companies. Agree. And we've talked about this before, but I think, I think also this, it's a great point to bring this back up. The conversation around information and how information can become a strategic advantage for your business, that has shifted from the CIO's office to the CEO's office. And I know we have a lot of CIOs listening and I have a lot of respect for you, but let's be honest, like the CEO's budget versus the CIO's budget are just, they're just different. You know, what you let the sales guys do versus what you let the IT guys do, they're just different, right? This has shifted from a conversation that's at a really nice resort at some golf course in Arizona to a conversation at Augusta, Georgia. And those are just different conversations with different dollar amounts associated with them. And the reason is because we're not talking anymore about what we can do reflectively, what we can do looking in the rear view mirror. We're talking about what we can do looking out the front of the car and thinking about how we steer the car going forward. Data has shifted from, you know, something that we use to, to reflect, analyze, and tell you what we did to insights that we can use to figure out where to go next. And it's just, it's, it's incredibly exciting. I had a, um, I had an interesting conversation around this that I just wanted to reference. Um, so both you and I, Bob, have done stuff with the, the Millennial Alliance over the years. And the guy who won uh, kind of innovator of the year from the Millennia Alliance this year is the chief data officer of McDonald's. But up till a few months ago, he was the chief data officer for one of the, or chief analytics officer, I'm sorry, for one of the large 
car providers. And he was talking about how the conversation around data has shifted amongst the big automakers, right? Where they're now they're no longer talking about questions like, okay, well, well, let's see how we can analyze this to optimize our supply chain or how to, you know, squeeze a little cost out of it. They're talking about how like it's literally impacting the product development process. And uh, there were some really interesting longer examples, but one really short example that I think will be intuitive and kind of make the point quickly. Over this pandemic, they've looked at the routes, not on an individual basis, but anonymized at an aggregate level. They've looked at the routes that their cars take, right? Because they've had that information for a long time. It's information they haven't done a lot with. What they've realized is that in aggregate, there's a lot more car trips today where you drive to a grocery store, leave your car running, open your trunk, shut your trunk, and then drive home. All of a sudden they're realized, and, and it's, you know, you can think about that. It's like, oh yeah, for, for a segment of the population who aren't using the, the Instacarts of the world or the, the Amazon Prime delivery from Whole Foods, right? There's a lot of this pull out front, have them put your groceries in your trunk, pull away. Well, all of a sudden that's shifting the, the prioritization and the roadmap of how important is automatic open the trunk and automatic shut the trunk. And that's gone from a, an upsell to a required feature, right? And this is insight that is being driven from the data science group to the rest of the organization. This isn't like, how do we, how do we squeeze a couple more dollars out of efficiency? It's how do we actually grow and play offense against the other automakers by releasing the core features in our product. And I think you see this across the industries and as data starts impacting revenue, not cost. And it starts sort of, per, this is why I think some of the CRM stuff is so interesting as well, right? You're, you're gonna just see the market for these, these information insights just explode. And I think, I think you're right. I think that the analysts will, will end up having to significantly res, revise their estimates for, for TAM around these topics. Yeah, Sean, I wanna come back to that in one second with you, but first just a word from our sponsor, BMC. BMC wants to know, is your business on its A game? That's when systems are intelligent by learning from markets where automation is paramount yet effortless and when technology and people work as one in an enterprise. The A game is your business at its absolute best. BMC calls this the autonomous digital enterprise. Find out more at bmc.com slash A game. So Sean, you know, that's a, that's a, those are fascinating um, anecdotes there and you see a, a right a title we might not have heard so much of uh, up until very recently chief data analytics officer chief data science officer or people had those but it was really you know in some ways sort of a dressed up name for chief technology officer or even cio so but now i think that the finally getting to the understanding of this and i saw this pretty viscerally you know you mentioned some of the car companies um, two, three weeks ago, but it was a, a joint uh, virtual event with Thomas Curran, the CEO of Google Cloud and an executive from Ford Motor Company. And they were talking about their new partnership. And some of the questions were illuminating. There are a lot of reporters from the car industry there. And they wanted to know about, um, you know, how big is the market going to be in this and that stuff. The guy from Ford kept wanting to come back. He, he you know, he, I don't mean he ignored the questions, but he rerouted the questions a little bit to say, what we're talking about here is something that begins 
when the car buyer begins the journey to look for a car and it goes through that to marketing, then how you contact them, then how you see this, then how you see service, then how you see sales. And he said, it comes back around through the experience of owning a car to feed back in there. So this has been talked about, Sean, for a long time, right? This closed loop idea, but it's really starting to take place now. And I would bet that, um, I, I don't know, are there 10% of companies on earth that have sort of the, the, the IT data, digital infrastructure to be able to do that. Uh, I, I don't. Is 10%? I doubt it's ten percent. That yeah. feels that feels high to me. That feels really high to me. I yeah. I mean, I I don't know either. It's actually a fascinating. It's a fascinating question for the, for the Google Clouds and the, you know the the large cloud vendors because they probably have a better sense on that than than you or, or I would. But just conversationally it doesn't feel like the folks I'm talking to are really running their businesses that way yet, but they all aspire to do it. And again, this conversation is no longer being driven just as an IT conversation. It's a whole company, whole business board level conversation, which I think speaks to really the strategic importance of it. And then Sean, you know, you see something like, uh, I, I forget yesterday or the, the day before, but within the last day or so Microsoft, uh, which has been quietly putting together an industry cloud strategy and set of services made a big splash about it yesterday, even, you know, Satya Nadella talking about it on LinkedIn. So you're bringing this precision of not just the horizontal applications, the traditional ERP, HCM, you know, CRM stuff, but now they're taking that deep down into the industry solutions. Every one of those conversations, whether it's, you know, Microsoft, ServiceNow, SAP, Oracle, Workday, you know, all of those big companies, and they're leading with the notion of these are AI and ML driven applications that are going to help companies be able to go deeper into the sorts of expertise and data digital capabilities that they've never had before. And again, that's one of these, Sean, I think this is such an exciting possibility here that we're just at the, at the very, very beginning of a real revolution. 100%. And the, the verticalization of this is, is something, again, that we've talked about a lot over and over again. But it like, you, you know, I think we're kind of getting out of the starting blocks on that now. And, and the reality is you have to apply domain-specific insights that are vertical by vertical to make this, you know, much more predictive. Because otherwise, you'll end up, just from a computer science perspective, you'll end up curve fitting where you don't have good insights that are actually principled. They're just kind of interesting statistical anomalies, right? So, mm -hmm. so just to make that a little less geeky, right? So many of you have probably heard the statistics like, oh, if the NFC wins the Super Bowl, the stock market moves one direction. If the AFC wins it, it's a different. Well, the, the, the reason those are kind of predictive is there aren't that many data points. And so you can kind of, you can kind of force the regression to show a correlation that it, there's, there's no actual causation between those two things, right? The stock market does not actually care if the AFC or NFC won the Super Bowl. But you can actually, you can actually sort of find these two data sets, find a correlation there, and, and argue that there's causation, even though there's not. And what you see, like as you do kind of horizontal AI machine learning around a lot of insights is if you don't apply some, some business principle and, and industry constraints on top of it, you can do the same type of who wins the Super Bowl, what happens to the stock market kind of predictions, 
around much, much more important things like, well, well, how do we maximize revenue? How do we optimize lifetime value? And, and the reality is you've got to apply industry insights on top of that. And I think that's why, and we've been complimenting them for a long time on this, but I think that's why this sort of partnership driven approach that Microsoft has taken where they bring industry partners uh, into these businesses and collaborate together to build these solutions. That's why that's so important, right? Because all of a sudden now you've got technology expertise plus business expertise in a way together that you're actually driving real insights, real optimization opportunities on a vertical by vertical basis. And, and I, I agree, this is going to be, this is going to be massive. I think, um, I think there's a, there's, some opportunities where there's probably pockets that are that are underdeveloped today, to be honest. And I think a lot of those re result in kind of thinking about about frameworks and processes, and and you know a lot of the project management stuff, in my opinion, still is is a bit backward looking, not forward looking. So I think there are some opportunities where we haven't quite gotten there yet. But in general, we're certainly getting out of the blocks, and and the next ten years are going to be interesting. And my hope is just that we're not talking about you know, the, the Gartner mistake in five to 10 years in the way that we talked about the, the McKinsey mistake at the beginning of our, of our episode on the cell phones. Their most expensive project ever. Yeah. So Sean, let me uh, posit an, an example here and, uh, you know, uh, a thesis then I'd like to, as we close, let you have last word on this. Um, you mentioned Microsoft, and one of the things that I just want to bring up with them that, that ties in so closely to something that you have said over and over and over again was, you know, digital transformation is great, but if you take what you did, exactly what you did in the past and digitize moving forward, right, that's, a, that's a, an efficiency play, and it might help you, it might just also help you glide into irrelevance a little more quickly. And you've talked about the notion of reimagination, and I think Microsoft has been superb in doing that the partnership approach the two took uh, was a big part of it look at what they did not just with their technology but in their go-to-market things so where the you know for 30 or 40 years the tech industry said the big vendors make the stuff the partners sell the stuff microsoft said okay we'll still do that but we're also going to turn that around if our partners make some interesting stuff or if our customers make some interesting stuff we microsoft we're going to sell that everybody's going to benefit from this. So this reimagination is in some ways without boundaries, right? It has to cut what you do, how you do it, how you make it, how you sell it, how you engage with people, how you look at these people who are partners or customers becoming, you know, you take the labels off of them because in the new way of doing things, uh, it's just, it's, it's going to be in some ways, this ecosystem that, that, doesn't have permanent boundaries or labels or fixed positions or fixed roles in, you know, what happens forward. So Sean, I think that we see this happening and what gives me so much optimism about it is you see it from pharmaceutical companies to the retail companies you talked about. You see it happening in construction industry where they are doing some phenomenal stuff about trying to reduce waste reuse, redo things, and that feeds all the way back up through their supply chains. Um, <laughs> insurance companies, you know, for so long, could only sell you a policy that was 12 months in duration. And they said, well, 
what about well they, they they just couldn't do it i think we're rapidly getting to the point where those things what we can't do is going to shrink dramatically and instead it'll be what do you want to do how do you want to do it where do you want to do it and in what fashion do you want to do it so i, I think we are at the beginning of something that you've called the information economy and uh it, peter Thiel's 10x factor i think we're right on the verge of that and everybody in any role in any sort of company has to really think deeply think hard about what is your role and where are you putting these boundaries that might be that might have been helpful in the past but are going to be destructive in the future yeah and i think that was so well said I'm, i just would say i absolutely agree with that and then i want to finish with just a more positive statement to our cio friends right because here's what i here's what i would actually say to them right you've done all the hard work mm -hmm. to get yourself to a point where you can help these companies do this. Um, it's a it's become a controversial example because he was on he was using drugs just like everybody else in the Tour de France. But there was a famous Lance Armstrong quote, which is he decided he said, "Hey, I, I want to go back after his cancer treatments and complete the Tour de France again." And his coach Johan Bernier said to him, "Well, if we're going to go complete the Tour de France," We might as go. We might as well go win the Tour de France, <laughs> right? And I think what I would say to the CIOs today is: Look, you've done all the work, you've done all the training, you've got your information in data lakes, you've or data swamps or whatever you want to call them, right? You've done all the efficiency stuff that you needed to, to 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 do and get the digital transformation projects done. If you're going to do all that stuff, like you might as well win. You might as well do business model transformation. You might as well position yourself as the next in line to be the CEO of your company, not the guy who just serves the information requests from your CEO, right? And so just a, a word of encouragement, because I feel like unintentionally, maybe if you're a CIO listening to this today or, or a VP of technology, you might be feeling a little bit like, oh man, I got to do, I got to carry all this heavy water for somebody else to get the glory for that last 20%. And my encouragement to you would be, no, like do it yourself. Be the guy who's going to the board and wowing them with how this can transform your business, how you can 10X your business, how you can transform it from a, not just a IT perspective, but a business model perspective. Because you've done all the work, you might as well win and you might as well be the guy who helps your companies win. And I think things like the, the Microsoft partnerships with these industries, right? What you're seeing is forward-looking CIOs figuring out how to reshape their relationships. So they're the guy on the golf course or they're the gal on the golf course with Microsoft having these conversations. And I'm just, I'm, I just really would encourage you to push forward, lean in and, and win because surviving is okay, but thriving is so much more fun. Mm -hmm. And John, have that golf course be Augusta, right? That's right. That's right. I've, I've heard it's a pretty good course. So, <laughs> All right. Well, Sean, thanks as always. Great dots, inspirational, motivational, aspirational. Good stuff, Sean. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Bob. Everybody, thank you. Uh, as we said, the digital revolution's in full swing. And as Sean says, so many of you have done all the hard work coming up to this. And now it's a matter of reimagining not just all the, the work that's done, but what's your role in this? What is the ceiling 
that you can aspire to with this incredible range of knowledge that you've got. It's pretty high. It's going to be a fun year. We hope you enjoy it a lot. Thanks for being part of the show. We'll see you next time.